time solves a lot. So as long as you're buying, if you're an investor, you're buying a cash flowing fixed asset that you could that you could stomach any turbulence, then time is going to solve everything. That's why Aaron's buying. That's why I'm buying. That's why we're, we're using leverage. So the question is this, how do most agents find the secrets to succeed in today's competitive real estate market, especially when the top agents are keeping those secrets to themselves? That's the question, and this podcast will give you the answer. Hi, I'm Aaron Amuchastegui, and welcome to Real Estate Rockstars. Real Estate Rockstars. Hey, welcome back. This is Aaron Amuchastegui, your host. I'm super excited to talk to Daniel Del Real today. The Daniel's been on the podcast a couple times. You know, Daniel is one of my close friends out in Modesto. He runs a huge real estate company out there. Uh, he's got a bunch of bunch of agents that work for him, bunch of fun trends. Uh, you guys are going to like this conversation, but you know, he's been having, there's so much conversation right now that it's been talking about, is the market still going up? Is it going down? What do you tell your buyers? What do you tell everyone? Well, Daniel is in, you know, he's deep in the business with his team, like every day, talking to them, giving them advice, telling, showing them statistics, things like that. I thought it'd be super fun for us to talk. Daniel, thanks for getting on the show. Man, I'm excited. Dude, I'm super excited. And everybody, the, uh, it's Daniel's birthday this week. So the so I'm so he didn't know that I was gonna so Daniel's turning forty this week. 40. So for for his big right, you're turning forty. Is it your fortieth? Yeah, big four zero. The big four zero. My big four zero last year. We were supposed to do in Maui. You know, all of our families were gonna go out and party together, and it got canceled because uh, Maui shut everybody down in May of last year. So my birthday was just a few days ago. But for Daniel's fortieth. So all you listeners, if I've ever provided any value for you on the show, I need you to go find Daniel on Instagram. And I need you to go onto his page and follow him. So it's Daniel, D-E-L-R-E-A-L. Tell him happy birthday uh, out there. Send him a video. Send him a message. Tell, tell him that you heard him on Real Estate Rockstars and that you're as big of a fan as, as I am. Because I'm a huge fan of Daniel's. So thank yeah, you, brother. How, how many agents work for you? Well, I have, we have 12 agents now. So it's a, it's a small team, but we do a lot of volume. By the way, uh, for your birthday last year, I still look at my backyard and I think of you. Because when we decided when when everything got shut down, we didn't go to we didn't go to Hawaii with you guys for yep. your birthday. I ended up redoing all my landscaping lights. So my wife thanks th thanks you for not having that right because we we're able to do all that. Dude, it's the same thing as soon when when because uh, it was going to be an expensive trip. We were going big. It was my fortieth. We've been all over. And it was the first time that we were going to stay at the Grand Wailea with our kids too. And so yeah. I bought myself a golf simulator. So sometimes you guys have seen behind me on the screen. I've got a golf simulator around the. It's the same thing. It was my birthday present last year. As soon as Hawaii canceled us, all of us were feeling sorry for ourselves. I know that that's I know that's horrible because we have a we all have a super blessed life. But yes, Daniel bought himself a backyard landscaping. I bought myself a golf simulator, and so happy birthday to us. Yeah, man. Well, yeah, but so so my I have a I have a team of twelve, California. We move about four hundred units a year. So that yeah, I've been in the business for twenty years. So it's a it's a small intimate group, but we move a lot of property in the Central Valley. So we we cover anywhere from. Merced County, and we do touch uh, Sacramento County. Yeah, it's I mean, you've got you're, you're very well known out there. You, like you said, you did a bunch of volume. So, with your twelve people, how many houses did you do in like twenty nineteen or twenty twenty? Well, so twenty nineteen, we did I think it was like two hundred and seventy uh, units, and we we did three hundred and three hundred and 
15 last year and we're on pace to do 400 now. I think we, we ended uh, the first quarter at uh, close to 150 units. Yeah. So, so your agents are doing between 30 and 40 units a year. Yeah, we, that's usually what we, we, we do. And when you're on our team, your minimum is 30, right? So you got to do, you got to do 30. If you can't do 30 plugging into our systems, then you got to find another profession, right? Because we're going to provide you all the support you need. We're going to have the conversations that you, that, that, uh, that you, need to, you need to hear in order to be able to educate your clients, right? We have all the, our, our agents only focus on five things, right? Which is lead generating, lead follow-up, appointment with clients, negotiating offers, and, and script and role-playing. That's it. We handle everything else for them. They don't deal with paperwork. They don't send out P's. They don't send out offers. You know, we have, we have inbound leads because 53% of our business is referral biz, business. And then we have strategic partnerships with a bunch of other companies. So uh, the phone constantly rings. So as you, if you're willing to show up and, and uh, buy into the, to the system and measure your KPIs and leading indicators in order to get the, in order to be able to help 30 families a year, then you got a spot on our team. If not, then, then you're not, uh, then you should probably be looking for another profession. So the way we talk about it. Yeah, no. Well, and you, you pour into your team and, and it's obvious with how much they love you with what I see on, on social media and, and everything you guys have been doing. When, when did you get your real estate license? I got my license in 20, uh, 2003. So I'm, I'm on my 18th year. Yeah, 18th year. What was it like in 2003? How'd you get your first deal? Man, the first deal. Uh, I was fresh out, of the, uh, fresh out of the Air Force. I was 22 years old. And the first deal that I got, I think I, I actually joined a team initially just knocking on doors. And I ended up finding the person knocking doors. They were looking, they were renting, looking to buy a house. So I just followed up like crazy. And I sold them a house in 2002 on Christie Lane in Ceres, California for 247000 uh, my first deal. It was Matt and Marina Rose. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. But after that, you know, I just, uh, just poured into it. I got out of the service, right? So in the service, I had, a, I had an advantage against what we call civilians because in the Air Force, uh, in, any, in the military, at that point, you know, we're in the middle of, you know, the Iraqi war. So there was, there was really no time off. It's the time that the military said you didn't have to wear the uniform, right? So you can really complain about not having any time off. There's people that are being deployed. You're working 24 hours a day, seven days a week. So when I got out of the service, I'm like, I didn't know what to do with my time. I'm like, man, I'm used to working all the time. So I just just put those principles into the civilian life and, uh, and then just wrote my own story. Yeah. I have seen that work ethic that you're talking about. I've seen that discipline that you give it yourself. I love telling people the story that when both of us were taking our families up to Jackson hole for the, the solar eclipse, we all, we all stayed overnight in this little, little, uh, crazy town, Elko, Nevada, right? There wasn't, wasn't much there. And I get up at 6am. I load my kids in the car because for like two days in a row, we'd each drove like 10 hour days or something. And, uh, and we're driving and I see, uh, Daniel 6am just going for a run, just running his, you know, so I'm like, dude, we're on our way on a trip. We're driving 10 hours today. We're in Elko, Nevada. And at 6am, Daniel's out making sure that he runs his five or 10 miles. We were training to do an Ironman together that year. Daniel's one of the guys that inspired me to do it and helped coach me through it so I could succeed. But that was a, you have always been an example of discipline for me. When I've seen like what I need my discipline to be like, I've looked at the stuff you're doing and I've tried to follow that. And, uh, and it's always fun too. Every time I'm getting on the bike, you see it on your, you send me a text. You're like, Hey, I see that you're biking again. Good job yeah. getting, back, getting back out there. So yes. see, I, have a, I have a very addictive personality, right? And here's the thing, like I do the things that are like the friendships that I have, or what I do in business or what I commit to, I go all in, right? Cause I know that I have a very addictive personality, but that means I have to say no to a lot of things. 
So I, I'm really, really bad at just about everything. But I'm really, really good at the things I choose to be good at, right? Because I, I go all in on it. And it, whether it's triathlon or whether it's certain friendships or whether it's what we're talking about today, which is real estate. Like I live and breathe it. Like that's what I do. Like you ask me about brewing beer, ask me about cigars or whiskey or golf or how my pool equipment runs. I have no idea. Like I'm the dumbest guy around, right? But the things I focus on, like I go all in on it, right? And I just, I, I, always, I, always, I always say that you're like, we're always walking in a state of distraction, right? And, but it's what we choose to be distracted by. So you're either aiming at a target and you're so focused on that target that you're, you're so distracted, uh, everything else around you, because you're so focused on that target. Either that or you have no, no focus to no target and you're just constantly being distracted by every, everything else. So you're going to be distracted no matter what. So it's what you focus on is, is what's really going to drive you, right? So I just tend to be really purposeful on the friendships and, and what I do day in and day out. It's the reason why we homeschool our kids, the reason why we've traveled with you know, families like yours that, that we're like, hey, look, we connect and you know, we love you guys. So we're going to go all in, right? And, uh, and we're fully engaged playing all out. But um, I'm really, really bad at everything else. <laughs> yeah. if, if, if you guys take, there's going to be so many things that I'm going to say. If you take one thing from Daniel, but the but going all in and focusing on something is definitely one of Daniel's superpowers. If you guys are watching this on YouTube, you can see behind Daniel, there's like a really great summary of who he is. So he's got the, a giant American flag on the wall behind him. Yeah, and so that's like you know, being proud of who he is, and you know, reminds me that you know when he was he was in the service, right? So he was he was you know active duty during Iraq, and now and like he said, everything was so busy, and so now he's here. Behind him, he's got a, a plaque on the wall that says something about being a realtor on it, and then above that says, "Behind every good kid is a great dad." And so those are those are three of the things that I think of when I think of you, Daniel, and then I think of like I said, your discipline level and how much you care about stuff. So as we talk about real estate now, it's kind of a, it's kind of a funny, funky market out there and funny, funky market. What I mean by that is sales prices are going through the roof. Houses, when you list them, get multiple offers. There's battles that buyer's agents are having to fight to get their offer accepted. Um, you know, the toughest job of a listing agent right now is making sure that you accept the right offer, right? And figuring, and that right offer isn't always the most expensive offer, but it's the right offer, which one is going to be the combination of how soon and when and, and needing your buyer's terms. And then we're also seeing some weird things. We see a lot of people talking about, hey, there's a bubble. You and I experienced the last bubble and the last crash and then and the last buildup after that together. So we're going to get to share a little bit about that. But then there's also some articles that I was going to pull up today too, that are kind of saying like, hey, uh, the bubble's over. Um, it's, it, we're starting to see the slowdown. Here's the trends. I think there's some very different trends out there. So before we go into the trends, what is your opinion of the market right now? Of what's it, what's it look like right now? Can you compare it to times of past? And what are you telling the agents that work for you? If they're saying, Daniel, are we in a bubble? Are we not? You know, what's going to happen to real estate market in the future? Yeah. So I tend to like to take emotions out of it. And I just look at the numbers, right? So part of being in this profession is you got to go all in and dive into all the numbers and you got to know the numbers cold. Like you got to be able to say them with confidence and you got to know I'm, I'm, I'm not only, I'm putting my money where my mouth is too, because I'm buying property as well. Aaron, you're buying property as well. Yeah. And one thing that I, that I, that I, I tend to look at is what the big guys are doing. Right. And I, I don't know if you remember back, I know you remember actually, but you know, when we're buying foreclosures, I think your brother was in Stanislaus County buying everything up and we're like, what the heck are these guys doing? They're buying all these properties. 
Then BlackRock came in, offered you a job, right? And one of our friends took the job and they were building this massive fund. And they told you like, you know, you, you say the story very well. They're, they're either, you're either going to join them or they're going to take you out. And, yeah. and you're like, well, you're not going to take me out, right? And we all thought the same thing. And they came in and took us out, took right? Us and this out. was what, 2013? Was it yeah. 2013? 2013. And, and I want you to look at the numbers of what was happening then. Think about it. These guys are very, very smart. They realized that we were shorting the housing market. Like we were shorting inventory. We weren't keeping up with demand. There was going to be a big housing crisis leading up to this. So they started buying everything. And they bought it at a premium. They, they were buying, it didn't even make sense sometimes when they were buying it. They were making money on the rent. They were floating a lot of different expenses. But what they knew is they wanted to buy thousands and thousands and thousands of units because they saw an issue coming, which is what we're seeing today, right? These are way smarter people than you and I, right? And, yeah. and we were on the ground level, right? There's a lot of people that are day-to-day -day consumers that don't look at that. So we have to really know our numbers and say, okay, why is it that BlackRock came in and put you out of business and put me out of business and made us pivot our businesses, right? They yeah. saw this big trend and they saw this issue. So right now what we're seeing is a housing crisis. We're not building enough units to keep up with demand. So when that's gonna when that's gonna solve itself? I'm not sure. Even today, when we build, I think 1.2 million units, we're still shorting the 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 the, the housing units by 300,000 and what we need, right? So uh, there's really no relief, and there's this generation of, of of kids that are going in and trying to find a place to live, and they can't. So they're staying with mom and dad for longer. So right now, what we have is is just a straight housing crisis. When that's gonna, when the next event that's gonna come in and it's gonna change that up, I don't know, but I don't see any relief uh, in the numbers anytime soon. So a lot of the young people that they said back, if you recall, even back in in two thousand five, six, and seven, when the market started getting finicky, all these talking heads got on 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 TV saying, well. They were overbuilding the market. The builders, and you were building at that point too. I think you were working yeah. for a builder. They're like, the, the builders got it wrong. You know, they, the millennials don't want to buy homes. They were going to be transitional buyers. They're going to be living in different locations. And, and, uh, and I get it. And, and partially they were right. Some people didn't buy. But what happened is the millennials that didn't buy, say, 2007, 8, 9, and 10, because they've experienced this big downfall, they went into the rental market. And, and because of all the money they pumped into the economy and the fact that there's not a lot of inventory, they've, the last 12 years of their lives, they've been experiences, experiencing increases of rents every single year, right? Where in three bedroom, two bathrooms here locally are up 50, 60%. So every year they've been seeing a squeeze on their rent. So they decided, you know what, we're going to buy. So everything that they were saying that millennials weren't going to be buying, guess what? They were wrong. And now they're buying and they're taking units off inventory. Right. And they're not putting anything out. They're just removing them. You know, the boomers tend to they, they'll downsize and they'll take something off inventory. They'll buy, but they'll also place another one out. So they're, they're inventory neutral. But the millennials and the younger population, they're just removing things off of inventory. And and that's something that they were dead wrong with. Right. And, and now we're starting to see the effects of that, you know, and the effects of, you know, 2010 to 2020 when we've been shorting the housing market. I think they said we're two and a half million close to three million short of what we need yeah yeah there's there's so much good stuff in there as kind of the overview of, of what you've seen and what you're seeing and it, as you were saying that it reminded me of kind of one of the gaps that i think we may never see again is affordable housing for like the first time home buyer like there's because the really inexpensive you know stuff that's coming on the market 
is getting bought as an investment because it makes so much sense as an investment because of that demand for renters. And I don't know where that solution is. The solution in the past was that they would, you know, they, they would do stimulus, they would do first time homebuyer programs, they would do down payment assistance programs and things like that. But right now there we have way more buyers in the market than we need. They needed to do that before to also stimulate the housing market. They're like, oh, we need the housing market to come back. Let's help people with first time homebuyer programs and down payment assistance. And but right now when a new because we believe in the market so much, especially as a rental, if a new home gets on the market, new construction, and I think that it makes a good rental, I buy it. And I'm buying so much new construction right now. Most of what I'm buying is new construction. I love it. I love the product that people are building. And I still think today that even though people are like, hey, are we at the peak? Well, I can buy the house today. I can get a loan in it and I can rent it for more than the mortgage is. And with it being new construction, it's going to last so long. So I think that I think that some people are probably, I think in that affordable level, I think that uh, the quality of rentals is probably going to increase. I think the quality of the, of the rental experience is going to increase. And that is what Blackstone saw when they came in years ago. And I remember telling him, you're not going to put me out of business. I know this business. This is my market. You're not going to, I'm, I'm, I'm buying more foreclosures. It's not going to happen. And, and what a, uh, what a humble, humbling experience that was. I'm going to pull up a couple articles really, yeah. really quick here. And then I want to see some of your statistics. Real Estate Rockstars, this is a commercial break from our biggest podcast sponsor we have right now, Rent Ready. It can be fun getting a new real estate deal, but it can be tough managing your properties after the fact, especially if you're long distance investing or trying to manage multiple properties by yourself. That's why we're here to tell you about Rent Ready. Rent Ready is a property management software that not only makes it easier to manage all your real estate deals from one platform, but they also have the best customer service support in the biz. They're an all-in-one app that lets you easily manage properties, collect rent, list units, screen tenants, sign leases, all from your phone or computer. Imagine all of your real estate doors right in your pocket. How awesome is that? The best part is it's so affordable, one flat price for everything. Unlimited properties, tenants, and support with a real live human. And I have to add in there, that's a new business model that not a lot of people are doing. There's like this freemium model where people say, hey, you can try this, but as soon as you grow, it's gonna cost you a lot of money. Or they kind of punish you when you get too many emails on your list or too many come. They aren't gonna punish you when you grow. They're not gonna charge you more when you get 10, 20, 30 rentals. They're gonna charge you the same when you have two or three as they will when you have 50 or 60. So you have a nice fixed cost, all software, all in one place. Check it out, Rent Ready, R-E-N-T-R-E-D-I.com. And if that's not enough, Rent Ready is giving our listeners a special code you can use to get a whole year of Rent Ready for just $54. Use code R-O-C-K-S-T-A-R-50. That's Rockstar50. And sign up for Rent Ready's annual plan at rentready.com. Again, R-E-N-T-R-E-D-I.com with code Rockstar50 to get Rent Ready for only $54. Kind of like what you were talking about right now. We're in a housing crisis. And so this one would be say, hey, th- this article would be telling us the market's going to continue to be going up. In a couple of weeks, I'm interviewing Sean O'Toole on the podcast, The State of the Market. He invented foreclosure radar. He was, yeah. you know, knows more about foreclosures and markets and trends than just about anybody I know also. And I'm going to have him on here to talk about inflation and what it did to other places too. That's kind of a second half of this interview. So this article is from Business Insider. And it, from today, it says the price of lumber is wild right now, and it's a disaster for the already disastrous housing market. 
America is facing a housing and lumber crisis that's not going away. The lum- lumber industry can't keep up with demand. Prices are up 85% year to date and 280% in the past 12 months. So we've all seen those memes on social media. Lumber is three times what it was a year ago. Mm-hmm. It's limiting a shrinking housing inventory and contributing to lack of affordability for first-time home buyers. So again, it's even if they're building, they're going to be increasing those entry-level costs because the cost of building. It says uh, America's in a lumber frenzy and you know it talked about in 2020 when 2020 started we were already an underbuilt there was already a housing shortage and then they put everything on hold for a while and that you know increased the housing shortage and then now lumber costs so much so the what have you been have you heard anything on the street out there with from housing prices or lumber prices things like that yeah absolutely. i mean it's no secret i mean look at the cost of lumber and not only the cost of lumber but the cost of wages Right. That's making it incredibly difficult for, for, for builders to build. So there's a lot of things going against us to get quality product up and going. Right. Yeah. Uh, I think lumber um, that's going to adjust and hopefully that's going to come down enough where we could that builders could actually obtain it for a good enough price to keep building. But there's 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 a lot more to that as well. Like here, let me show an article that we have here, which is um, let me see. It's this one here. So. The economic and housing research. Yeah, so this is this is a straight straight out of the the. I think this is Freddie Mac article. Yeah, Freddie Mac, and it talks about this is 2017 and 18. So we've been talking about this for some time. We've been talking about. Can you see my screen? Yep, I see it. So we've been talking about this for some time. But you, when you have, hold on, it's not letting me hear. Let me share this. So, but if if you look at here, like you the. We estimate that the current rate of demand is approximately 1.62 million housing units per year that we need to build, right? This was 2017, 2018, right? This is 2017 when we added 1.25 million. So we were shorting about 370 units per year that we needed, right? Yeah, 370,000 um, units short. And that yeah, was so, three years now. I'm going to show you how many actual units we were, we were actually building, right? So right here. So this is in this is in thousands, right? So uh, we needed 1.6 million. This is this is what was happening right here when we were building in the in the boom years, right? We were overbuilding a bit here, one nine, one nine, one five. The crash happened. This is the years of underbuilding, right? All these years right here. Yeah. yeah. So we're, look, if we're looking at that sheet for people listening. So Daniel's saying we should be building, you know, 1.6 million houses a year, kind of from the beginning of time. In 1990, we, we built 1.6 million. In 2000, it was like 1.57, 1.57. The overbuilding started to happen in 2003, 2004, 2005, where we're building almost, you know, it looks like, what's our, what's our number? 1.9 million, 2006, 1.9 million, 2005. And then 2000, then everybody got hurt in the housing market. Housing market crashed. And so then from 2009 to 2015, it was, it was less, you know, then there's like 800,000, right? So when you think, and this is right out of the census.gov website, so this is not secret, right? This is like, we need 1.6. Like, we're, we're, this is when BlackRock right here, they figured this out right here, right, Aaron? And they came in yep. and took us out of business because they had three years of data saying, we're, we're, we're going to have a serious housing issue, right? These guys are so smart. The gals are so smart. They came in and they started buying things up now to, to get the payoff right, what we're seeing right now. They saw this coming. And, and you and I might not have put it together back then. We're like, what do you mean you're going to take me out? What do you mean they're buying every single house at the courthouse steps? Every single house on the market, off market, they're buying it. And they're driving, they're clearing a lot of that inventory because they saw this, yeah. right? So 
us as agents need to be educated. We need to know our numbers cold so we can educate our clients. If you have a 30, mid 30 year old client that's saying, you know what, it's not the right time to buy because the prices are inflated. Like if you don't hit them with data and let them and educate them to make the right decision, then in five, 10 years from today, you, you might be, you know, they might be in a, they're going to be in a worse, worse off place. Cause I don't see the inventory in, in housing, um, correcting itself. Well, fixing itself, right? The inventory uh, actually fixing itself and the units that we actually need. Then you got a government that's pumping in so much money into the economy and then seeing, okay, what is inflation going to do to rents, right? What's it going to do to rents? I mean, if you could lock in your lifestyle today, that's a, an amazing opportunity, right? And, and, I, and we talked about, you know, we talked about inventory and what that felt like back in the day. Like we all know what it felt like. I, I saw my parents, I was and I was in real estate. I was 27, 28. I had my first house. I had two houses during the crash and I kept them, right? And I bought the, my first house for 300,000 and it went down to like 140, 150,000. I, I know what it felt like. Oh, but wow. when I started asking myself, well, what did it look like? Let me take emotions out of it. Like what did 05 look like? The, the market was great. The news was saying everything was amazing. You know, there was four months of inventory, which a healthy market is three, four months of inventory, five months of inventory. And then if you look at the numbers, it shows that. Right. So if you look at that inventory and then you look at what happened in 07 and 08, where we ballooned well over 10, 12, 13 months of inventory, you saw that decline in, in, in pricing. But if you look at the market today and you're, and you're making decisions on what it felt like, then you're wrong. You need to go make decisions on what it actually looks like. Why are you making an educated decision? Why are you buying a property on a fixed asset, 30 year mortgage? Right. OK, you're paying a higher price, but the terms are good. You and I have negotiated a lot of deals. We own a lot of properties. I'm okay paying the price if the terms, like I'll give you the seller's price if the terms are good for me, right? If my terms are good, I'll give you your price. If my, if my terms aren't good, then if, if, if you want your terms then give me my price, right? Yeah. So we get to figure that out. So the prices are slightly high, but the terms are great because you're borrowing money at a really low, low cost. So, and we could, if you want, I could show the, show the graphs. I'm going to, I'm going to look, show something really quick. And then I just want to jump into your stats because you have them. Because here's, here's what everybody gets to be confused about as we're looking at articles. We see an article saying uh, from CNN, people are panic buying homes as prices skyrocket around the world. And it shows all these examples of around the world uh, in England, you know, in Portugal, where housing, it says people are panic buying. So that's saying, hey, that we're still in the boom. The boom is still happening. We see an article from Business Insider that says the American worker had been earning less throughout the pandemic. That ended in March. Now people are officially earning more on average in the US than they were before the pandemic. Cool. So that means most people are better off today financially than they were before the pandemic. That's crazy news for some people. That's great for economics. And some people it's probably hard to believe like, wait, what? Because in some states it's still rough. It's an overall, if you take everybody in the US, income is higher. So that's great. But then here's something saying that maybe it's peaking. It says demand for mortgages sagged in April, even as rates remain near historic lows. So it's saying, so now so there's less people demanded mortgages for the first time, you know, since May of last year. So maybe it is slowing. Less people are doing mortgages or everybody refied already. We've got these big investors saying legendary investor Jeremy Grantham called the dot-com bubble and the 2008 financial crisis and told us we might be looking at the biggest loss of perceived value and assets we've ever seen. That's a really big statement if Daniel and I are here telling you we don't think we're, we don't think that's going, that's happening and home prices soaring across the US. So we've got news saying we're in a bubble and it's about to crash. We've got news saying that we're not. You know, on all sides of that. And so let's look at some statistics. So one first thing I want, if you can go quickly, like you've got some stuff that talks about affordability. Yeah. We've said, somebody goes, man, I wish I would have bought this house in 1990. 
house. There <laughs> yeah, was so much more now. Well, what is that affordability comparison for somebody that bought a house in 1990 compared to right now? Yeah, that's such a good question. And, uh, and you know, because we're representing sellers and buyers right now all the time. We're getting this question asked all the time. So we dug into it and we looked at the Case Shiller Index. We looked at all the reports that you could possibly look at and, and looked at inflation and we broke it down. We're like, let's understand these numbers, right? Instead of going off of what we think, let's go in and, and actually build a scenario of what it looked like. And, and interesting enough, my dad bought, moved us up from, from Palo Alto, San Jose area to, to Modesto back in the 90s, in the early 90s, and he bought his first house. So I broke down a scenario of what that looked like. So I'll share my screen and I'll, I'll share what I shared with my team, which yeah. is what, what affordability looks like, what it looked like in the 90, 90s and what it looked like today. Um, and it's a simple form. You, you got to keep it a lot, very, very simple. And, and you can find all these in uh, you know, the Fed reports, right? So you, you, you can find them all online, right? This is not a secret. I just pulled them right out of that. Um, but but here's an example. Like in 1990, uh, the medium household income was less than thirty thousand. Today is shy of eighty thousand. It's a fifty thousand dollar difference with a hundred seventy percent increase. A lot of that had to do with inflation. Home value was at one twenty three. Now it's at three forty seven. These are these are uh, national numbers, U.S. numbers, right? So, so it looks like so income from 1990 to now has gone up like two and a half percent. But then home prices from then to now have gone up like three times as much. And yeah. so, so that's that's where we get to start it at. Home income was thirty thousand. Now it's eighty. How, average house in the U.S. was one twenty three. Now it's three forty seven. All right. So keep going. So here's the magic of it: is the, the term right? Back then, my dad's first loan was at ten and a half percent interest. Right? We're getting three percent now. Some people are getting less. So the payment back there was eight sixty three. Here we're sitting about twelve ninety five. This is not taxes insurance. I'm just trying to keep it super simple. Right? I just want to show you simple payments, just a concept, so that way you understand it. Uh, but if you take the $863 payment and you and you and you you uh, calculate inflation in it and you say what is 863 in the 90s in today's dollar, and that's the magic number. You look at today's dollar is 1783. So people that were buying houses in the 90s that we all think they're so smart for buying homes at this low rate, and they tell you all the stories of how they got the you know low prices, bad terms with the rate. Um, and you look at it, you're like, well, they're very, very smart because they locked in because inflation took over and, and, and you see what it did to income, you see what it did to home values, you see what it did to all that. But their price point equivalent to what the dollar is today, our payment is way lower than theirs is today, affordability-wise, yeah. right? I, I so, love this I love this stat because stay on that for a second. It, so it's showing again, in 1990, if you scroll up a little bit on, on, on your stat, the payment was yes. $863 a month for 10.5% interest rate on a $30,000 house. It's so funny because everybody, so because you know, if for eight hundred sixty three dollars a day, you're buying a hundred thousand dollar house. You're buying, but, you know, you know, it's it's you get so much more house. So they were paying eight hundred sixty three back then for the median house. Now they're paying twelve ninety five. But David Green and I did an interview that got released just a few days ago where we talked about inflation and we really explained inflation that back in nineteen ninety you get a whopper for a dollar. And now it costs you three and a half bucks. So you used to be able to get it for, for it used to cost you 860 whoppers for that house. And now it would cost you 300 whoppers for that house. So inflation makes a bigger difference. And then also proportion of income was the payment back in 1990, 35% of someone's income went to their mortgage. Today, only 19% of your income is going to that same mortgage. So the you know, interest rates combined with inflation combined with over time, like if you're going to own your... It's tough to say whether you should buy a house to flip it right now, but if you're going to own your house for a while, um, 
stuff like this is so important to be able to share to customers. A lot of it is is locking in your lifestyle, taking control of your lifestyle. Remember the millennials that have been. If you're if you're if you're listening to the show right now, you got a client that is renting, has been renting for the last fifteen years. Tell them what their experiences have been. Like the rents have constantly been going up, right? I mean, the cost is is, is going up. Inflation is 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 kicking in on that, and and. If you look at that, like this is your ability to really educate them and say, hey, lock in your lifestyle for the next 10, 20, 30 years. Like I wanna I wanna show you a quick example because I think sometimes like this is local in my local market. So this is like my dad buying his first uh, not his first home that we lived in in nineteen ninety and how smart my dad was back then. But at the same time you look at what we're doing with our clients today, and our clients are actually getting a better deal than my dad was in nineteen ninety. Right. Yeah. So show us your dad's house. 19, it says 1990 so, right there. Out, my dad bought a four bedroom, two bathroom house, 157,000, 1990 in Modesto. Right. So this is where we're selling. So we're educating our clients here. Put 20% down. Loan was 125. His rate was at 10 and a half. His payment was 1321 a month. Right. 2021 inflation adjusted number. That would have been $2,700 today. Right. That's yep. a big deal. Now that same house today is worth 475. Right. And the buyer's coming in with 20% down, 95000 380000 mortgage. Their payment's $21,31. The payment is, in today's dollar, the buyer today is actually getting their, their property $600 cheaper, if you, if you look at inflation, than my dad did back in 1990. The best yeah. decision my dad did was to buy that house. So I, if, if I were to have a time machine to go back and tell my dad, I'd say, good job. But yet we're able to act in the present and we can't give that same advice to ourselves, right? Because it's easy to look back. But, you know, if you look forward 30 years, you're going to have the same conversation. So, and now you look at all the printing that's happening and, and inflation numbers and the manipulation that they're doing with the CPI. And you look at what, what uh, renters have been going through. So down here, you look at rents, right? So rents today for a three-bedroom, two-bathroom in Stanislaus County, San Joaquin County, about $1,700 a month. Right. Uh, in in uh, in 10 years from today, if you take two and a half percent inflation, you're looking at twenty one seventy six in rent is what they're going to be paying. Right. Uh, for a two bedroom, you're looking at twelve fifty in 10 years from today. Just just the, just doing a two and a half percent inflation. You're looking at sixteen hundred. The difference between these rents is that in in uh, in 2010, this rent was twelve hundred dollars, eleven fifty. This rent here was was about seven hundred and fifty dollars. So you saw in the last 10 years, 12 years, you've seen a 50% increase in rent. And then about in the two bedrooms, you've seen a 60 to 75% increase in, in, in those rents, right? So you tell me what's going to happen when we just talked about, not just talked about it, but we went into the numbers. Reality, there's a big housing crisis. We've been shorting the housing, the, the housing inventory for a very, very long time. So it, what do you think the next 10 years looks like? like I don't know. I, you don't have to. It's not rocket science. But, you know, I, I would say, look, if we know that there's a lack of housing and there's a housing crisis and then you have a government that's printing money and you could see the last 10 years, you can look back and give your my dad advice in 1990. But if I'm giving my dad advice in 1990 saying, great job, dad, this is going to work out well for you because you're going to pay off that house. Right. And it's going to be worth a half a million dollars. Good job. But yet I can't give myself that same advice when all the trends and everything that I see, all the numbers and statistics are telling me that my 30 year self in the future is going to say buy a house today. You fool, Right. Yeah. So that's it's it's such a it. I mean, I the re, one of the biggest reasons I love real estate is because we get we get mortgages on houses. 
whether it's an investment or as a, as a person, anyone that buys a house, they get a mortgage and that payment stays the same forever. And five years from now, 10 years from now, the, it's still the same. It's still, and when, and when, as inflation increases, especially with, with everything that we've seen over the last year and predictions, there's other articles we saw that are saying how much inflation is going to be pushing so much higher than they saw. And then, but also if you own it as a rental, not only is your payment staying the same, but everybody else's cost of living is going up. So if you don't own a house, your rent is going up every year. If you own a house, your mortgage is staying the same every year, but everyone, no one should be a renter. Everybody should own their home. The, you know, people want, choose to be renters for all sorts of different reasons. And there's a benefit to it too. Uh, You know, uh, there's definitely a benefit uh, to renting, but one of my favorite things about real estate is that this debt gets locked in, your payment stays the same forever, but rent will go up. Your housing price will go up. Even when there's correction, I mean, we saw giant corrections in 2007, 2008, 2009. Prices went from, in some cases, like in Modesto, where you're at, from like 400,000 down to 200,000. We saw some of our most dramatic, as a home builder, we saw some of our worst changes were like in Turlock and some places like that where houses were just so overbuilt, the price was so high. And then when the market fell out, we had nothing to bring back that demand and the price were just selling for the house were selling for 20, 30 cents on the dollar. And it was, yeah. it was pretty crazy. So if you, if you still have some more time, the, I would yeah. like it if you could show some of your other statistics of what it was like then and what it's like now. I know you've got, uh, you, you've got some different statistics then. So you can go ahead and share your screen again. I unshared it while we were talking there for you. All right, here we go. Do you see this, the, the trend graphic? I do. So I see trend vision published May, 2021 for Sacramento County. Yeah. So let's go back to um, who's listening to this call, right? So you're educating your client. You're like, okay, they're, they're telling you, hey, it feels like a bubble. Like I put a video up on my Facebook page and it has, it was, I got so many messages from even brokers, people that I respected that said, Daniel, you just debunked everything I've been thinking, right? And because everybody's falling in line with what the media is saying. Oh, look, it's, is it a bubble? Is it like the prices are going up? It's like, you're telling your clients to wait. But then when you really look at it and you make, you really look at how it looked like compared to what it felt like, it, what we're seeing right now feels like 2005, six and seven, right? But it looked a lot different. And I got a lot of messages saying, man, you really debunked everything, right? Um, that, that I was thinking because we don't take time and dig into the numbers and see and educate our clients of what it actually looked like. So today, this is Sacramento County, right? I got Sacramento County just because I figured that's, that's what everybody's going to relate to. So state capital of California. So what other market can you look at? That's going to that's gonna be a good example, right? So this is Sacramento County. And you see the pending sales sold and for sale properties, right? You see inventory being record low. You see this hockey stick pending. That's what inventory is today, right? So when you look at, okay, is this does this look like 2005, 6, 7? The, the market corrected in 2006 and 7. So it doesn't so look for, like for all you listeners out there too. What we're looking at here is in this trend graph. It's really funny. In February in Sacramento, there was looks like around 1,071 sales. In March, there was 1,500 sales, and in April, there was 1,616 sales. Um, there was only, and then there was half of that for sale. So in in January, there was 540 on the market, 1,048 sold. 584 on the market in February, 1,071 sold. So they're getting twice as many sales, something almost three times as many sales as they had active and pending is going way up. So the statistics that we're showing is is really low months, lots of stuff selling, not very much stuff on the market and lots of stuff pending, you know, already in escrow. 
So now let's look at what what uh, 2005, uh, 6, 7, and 8 look like, right? Yeah. So this is when the market so the market was, was great. It was three months of inventory. Right, biggest crash we'd ever experienced. Look at this inventory. And I want you to look at the 2005 inventory and 2006 inventory. Right, compared to where we're, we're at today, let's go back today. We're looking at 754 houses on the market, okay, with 1,600 in contract. Compared to 2005, which is a good market, we had 6,700 houses on the market. That's 10 times almost as many as we have Dude, today. Dude, that is so crazy. That was when, I mean, and that was when we were building so much. The market was crazy. Housing prices were going up. So, like, that was right around the peak where the prices were the highest. And we started to see some trends before prices ever started correcting. But I remember kind of that being what I think is the strongest part. But yeah, you're looking at this sheet now, uh, 6,700 houses on the market, 1,200 sold in a particular month. You know, yep. December, 5,600 on the market, you know, 1,000 sold. So you're looking at, it's like four or five months of inventory, all those there. And here's your months of inventory chart. Great. Yeah, four months of inventory in 05, market's good. Five months of inventory, market's healthy. And then you start seeing it balloon up to 10. And if I go into 2008, nine, you're looking at 10, 11 months of inventory. In some counties, there were 17 months of inventory. So, so it looked a lot different than it does today. Right now, this is what our inventory looks like today. We got a half a month's worth of inventory, right? Even, even in, in, in 2020, pre-COVID, we were positioned to stomach a slowdown in the market because we only had a month and a half worth of inventory. I, re I love those charts. It's just so baffling. So like, yeah, I'm not, I'm not in my head in the sand thinking there will never be a correction. But when you see these inventory levels, it's just crazy to go, what is the change that's going to be? So if you look again, uh, go to the, the graph right before this one, Daniel. One of the points I wanted to make, uh, the yellow one, the uh, the other months of inventory that was the 2005, 2006. Yeah, okay, that's right. That's right. I think that when the market starts to correct, there will be more signs that it's starting to correct. And if you look at what happened from 05 to 06, there were signs at the end of 05 it was starting to correct. When the months of inventory got up to 6.6 .6 and 6.9, so in January and February 2006, some people might have said, oh man, there's a problem. We're going to have to sell this one, right? So, so you could, if you, ha if you were in the market then and it was just like gambling for housing, it wasn't long-term, that would have been a sign to say, all right, the market's going to correct, let's sell. So that's like February of 2006. Then market got a little bit better in March, 4.7 months of inventory. So maybe somebody would have waited. They would have said it's okay. By April, May, June of 2006, you start to see the trend like, okay, the market's starting to correct, let's sell. If someone would have sold at that moment in June of 2006, they still would have been selling near the top of the market. So there's, so we don't have to be scared of housing prices because when we start to see those things changing, if we get all the trends that say it's about to crash, it still takes six, nine months, 12 months yeah. to have a change. And this chart validates it right here, Aaron. This is the, this is the original, the list price to the sold, sold price to validate what you're saying, right? So yeah. in 05 and 06, you're still, the homes are still selling at 99% of list price. That's a healthy market, right? It's there, yeah. 99%. Buyers are stretched, sellers are stretching a bit more. They're getting pulled back by the market. And so we see the trend change right here is what Aaron's talking about. You're like, you make a change, you're like, okay, the trend's changing. You can pop off and sell some properties here. And all of a sudden, you start seeing 98% of the list price, 97% of the list price, and so on and so forth. It goes down to 95 and 90%. And you start seeing an adjustment of pricing. But I guess the, the important thing that Aaron says is if you keep up with the trends and you know your stats told, you will be able to see the shift as it comes. Yeah. Right? And right now, you don't see it. The way that you see uh, this is today's, List price to sales price in Sacramento County, 100% back in pre-COVID, 
101%, now up to 104%. So this is home selling 104, they're selling 4% over what list price is, right? 104% is what they're selling at right now. So, And this is a stat that I know there's been times we've said, hey, list price doesn't matter out there right now. Just offer whatever it's worth. But a buyer perception of this is list price, I want to get a deal. So they offer below market. Or the buyer perception of this is list price, I want to get the house and they list above market. So buyer perceptions right now is, it's so funny when you line up the, the, you know, the, the increases. When we compare that to the month of inventory, it's like now by June of 06, you know, you could see that people were starting to get worried and you could see that people started to offer below list price. Yeah. Right now we're still on the way up. We're so it was so starting you, to trend, you know trend the, down. Now we're still trending up. If you know the numbers and like if you're a buyer's agent right now that are struggling, right? What you're seeing right now is the, the market, sometimes it feels like there's not a lack of inventory. So you got two choices, right? There's a lack of inventory. So you could say, oh, you know, I'm going to retreat. I'm going to wait until the market corrects itself. You know, I don't want to represent buyers. Right now. It's too difficult. Or you could do the work, right? And, and what's happening right now is transactions are going up. Uh, but it's like a duck in water, right? You see the duck, it's very calm on top, but at the bottom, the, the, the fins are just going, right? And, and that's what's happening with the market right now. The amount of transactions, uh, they're, they're there, but they're just being absorbed rather quickly. And I think another chart for, for agents that are listening to this call and how you're talking to your clients, number one, the point is, if you're in the market and you know that homes are selling for 4% over asking price, this is where you don't only tell your clients, you show your clients, you educate your clients, and then that's where you're starting to say, okay, if a home is listed for $400,000, we are going to offer 416000 because that's what the market is telling me. And then you talk about contingencies and all this stuff. You're educating your clients because you know the market. You know what to talk to them about because you're seeing the trends. And then the, the thing that I want to, I want everybody to look at here, too, is this is inventory. So when, when, when the market is, when a lot of uh, agents, if, if they're slow, it's purposeful because they're like, you know what? I don't want to engage in the stock market. It's too difficult. But if you look at the new listings, look at the new listings jump up. Went from 993 new listings, 1,200, 1,300 new listings, 1,700 new listings. And the pending sales have hockey sticked up with them. This is all happy buyers getting the contract. These are agents that are representing buyers. These are agents that have decided to show up and engage. I mean, from 1,070 pendings to 1,500, that's a 50% increase in pending sales. That's a 50% increase of clients that you could help. That's 50% more people that are going to be buying property next year. If you're an agent and like you're fully engaged, you know your number's cold, you know how to educate your clients, you know the market stats, you know what kind of problems you're facing right now, you know how to like advise your clients, then you're going to be really busy. You're going to have a record-breaking year, right? Or you could decide to ignore the numbers, go on what everything feels like, not what it looks like, and run away. But the agents that constantly keep showing up and engaging are the ones that are going to have record-breaking years. And you're starting to see that now. Like talk to agents saying, I'm having record-breaking years because they're showing up, they're educating their clients. Yeah, those stats are so great. You know, and and got people that are listening out there, if you're new agents and you're trying to figure out where to find this data, I mean, we used to have to download from the MLS and kind of create our spreadsheets and do the calculations. Now there's so many of those graphs and forms um, that are built in. But the but I think it's key to be looking at months of inventory, historical. You can look at it over time. You can look at sales prices over time. So when you get to chart months of inventory with sales prices and demand that'll help you see where we are right now not saying that shifts won't happen but you can but they're you they're predictable and usually right. it's not like this is happening today you've got 30 days to make this change it's never like that it's like the even though the market feels like it's going so fast like if you don't buy today the house is going to sell for ten thousand dollars more next month that's true as it's happening but the but as those things happen it's just you don't have to uh you don't have to panic with any of this stuff, looking at the stats, not how it feels, looking at what it 
really looks like. You know, the and if you guys need help doing any of those statistics, like reach out to Daniel, reach out to me. We love this world. Um, I wanted to ask people out there that if you're in these other markets, I get to share you guys a lot of statistics about what's going on uh, in Texas. I get to share the news, what's going on in other places. Daniel gets on here and shares uh, California. You know, we've got uh, Kimberly comes on and she shares what's going on in Boston. I have I have you guys sharing stuff from everywhere. But if you're in some of those other markets, I would love it if you would reach out to me. Talk to me about what's going on in your market. Send me some of your statistics so we can share it with people and we can analyze. We can help analyze it and see what's going on. Daniel, I want to share a story with you and a big shout out. I want I need to find some agents out in the Nashville area that want to come get on the podcast or somebody in the Nashville area even better that can come on and talk about what's happening in the housing market out here. And I want to tell you why. So the I got to meet a new guy. So uh, Daniel and I went to uh, years ago, I talked Daniel into going uh, to Haiti with us. So him and his family, we went out to Haiti. The first time I went to Haiti, I went out there with Zach Williams. Zach Williams is a, is a Christian uh, is a Christian singer. Um, the, he has had a great couple years uh, earning all these Grammys. And last year did some performances with Dolly Parton. Really awesome experience when I first got to meet him and, and his band going out to Haiti. The next year, we brought Daniel and his family out to Haiti with us. There was a concert in Austin this weekend. And I got to meet uh, I got to meet Brandon. So Brandon Robold, he is Zach's bass player, and but he's also a real estate agent out in Tennessee. And so I wanted to give a big shout out that I was super excited to meet him because every time I get to meet anybody that is a listener of the podcast, I get super excited. Like you guys know, my, some of my favorite people to interview are people that have been listeners of the podcast for a long time. I'm interviewing a guy tomorrow that's been a listener for a long time, and he's so excited that he gets to be on the podcast now. So I want to give a shout out to Brandon. It was so awesome seeing those guys perform. So awesome that he has been listening and improving his real estate career. But then my ask is for you other people out there in Nashville that have the statistics that have been there for a while. I want to be able to make sure that I'm providing value and statistics for all of you listeners you know, throughout the US. So specifically need some Nashville people to come on here, send me some info, make sure that I can get you guys the state of the market you need. Brandon, that was an awesome uh, show this week with you and Zach. And it was fun to get to meet you and shake your hand and hear about, hear about what you're doing. Daniel, what else, like uh, the final thoughts, I know I've kept you on here way longer than we were supposed to today uh, um, as we were trying to fit in our day, but any last thoughts that you're thinking um, people should be thinking about with real estate right now? You and I are pretty bullish on that, hey, we've still got some runway left on whatever is happening in this market. We're bullish on the idea that you got to work hard, though. Like People have to work hard. People that are giving up are, are, are losing out on opportunity. You got to play to win. You got to show up to win. Um, so we believe in that. But any extra tips for somebody to succeed? You know, it could be personal. It could be real estate. It could be anything. Yeah. I think, I think number one, you got to be fully engaged and you got to know what you're doing. You know, if you got clients that are trusting you to know all the numbers cold, you got to know them. Right. And, and, and the, and they always say that the best time to buy real estate was 20 years ago. Yeah. The second best time to buy real estate is today. So time is going to solve all this. Like you and I Aaron, we went back and forth on when corrections are going to happen. I get it. Like a correction might happen. It, it most likely will happen. There'll be turbulence back going 10, 20 years, 30 years from today with the dollar and everything else that's going on. But time solves a lot. So as long as you're buying, if you're an investor, you're buying a cash flowing fixed asset that you could, that you could stomach any turbulence, then time is going to solve everything. That's why Aaron's buying. That's why I'm buying. That's why we're, we're using leverage. Time solves a lot if you have uh, the liquidity to do it. So you need to make sure that whatever you buy, if you're an investor, if it's a fixed asset, it's a cash flowing fixed asset, you have your reserve set up 
and you play it for the long term and you try to get your emotions out of it. I had a, we had, I heard Robert Kiyosaki talk once and, and uh, we were in a room full of investors and he bought this, uh, he was very bullish in an area in Arizona. And, and uh, these guys, like they're all millionaires in this room. So they were giving them shit. They're like, hey, you said you'd never sold, you never lost money in real estate, but how about this center that you bought? You've been losing your ass off for five years, right? And, he's, and he looked at him in, in this, in, on stage and he says, have I sold that property yet? He's like, no. He's like, I haven't lost anything yet. I don't lose unless I have to sell. He, he, was, he had the liquidity to float that investment. And look at him now in Arizona. Everything is booming. He's the smartest guy in the world, right? Because he held that asset. So my advice would be cash flow, fixed assets. You got to know your numbers cold. And you got to know that investments mature over a long period of time they become good investments or good investments today become great investments over a long period of time yeah the i remember that was the year before i joined go abundance at that at that event and getting to hear that but i heard a lot of stories that the from that and it was that biggest thing that you only lose money when you sell i have lost money on a lot of real estate when i was flipping a lot of houses, we lost money because I, I was so traumatized from the, from the home building crash. You don't want to get caught with your hand in the cookie jar. So there were so many houses that I sold at huge losses because I was like, no, it's a loser. I'm going to sell it. I'm going to move on. And in hindsight, you go, why? Why didn't I rent it? Why didn't I, ca- why didn't I put a loan in it and rent it and cash flow it and wait for the market to make me look brilliant? Because the, if you're buying and selling really quickly, then you have to do a lot of guessing and in increasing markets, you look brilliant and when decreasing, you don't. Um, the, uh, but, when you're, but when that happens, we had a lot of things that then happened in 2013 that when we got put out of business that we, that we were like, you know, let's just put these as rentals. Some random houses in the middle of nowhere that we had trouble selling, we'll put them as rentals. And eight years later, nine years later, these horrible investments are great investments. And it, was, it wasn't necessarily by accident. It was following the path of we only lose money when we sell it. So let's not sell it. The are you going to go to? Are you going to Georgia next month? The the champions event. Uh, champions no, event? I got a commercial academy. I'm doing. I'm diving into. Always learning, man. Educating myself. Always learning. So the, I was hoping I was going to get to see you next month. The you guys have heard the pitch that uh, both. Dan, the first time I met Daniel was at our Go Abundance Mastermind. Uh, it's such a fun thing. If you guys need want more, any more information about that, we're just members over there. The, we do some fun stuff. But anything that we can help you with, I want you to reach out. You know, if we can help you with statistics, if you're an agent with statistics and you want to get it on your questions about anything, come find me on social media. I love to chat with people on there. Daniel, what's the best way somebody can come find you? Uh, they can find me on social media. It's Daniel Del Real, Instagram, and then Del Real Daniel on Facebook. Um, or you could just Google my name. I'm easy. I'm not a secret agent, so I'm easy to find. <laughs> not a secret agent. Easy to find. Daniel, I love you. I love your family, man. Again, happy birthday. Reminder, everybody, you got to go find Daniel Del Real on Instagram. Go tell him happy 40th birthday from Real Estate Rockstars. Daniel, thanks for joining us today, Real Estate Rockstars. Thanks for listening. Oh, it was an honor. All right, real estate rock stars. This is Aaron Muchastegui jumping in again to thank you for listening to the show. Hopefully you guys loved listening to that one. And I want to make sure that you know about all of the extra resources that we have. And also we need your help. They say podcasts are free. You get to listen to podcasts for free. But what is the cost of that podcast? I would say if I could beg you to pay anything for that podcast, I would say the cost of the podcast is going and giving a review. So whether you download it on Google or Apple or YouTube or anywhere else, please go give us a review. Say what you liked, what you didn't like. It helps us get better guests. The more reviews, the higher we get in the rankings. Right now, we are the biggest 
podcast out there for real estate agents. And we want to keep that spot because we know there's lots of podcasts out there. So go give us a review. Also, be sure to go to hybendigital.com. If you liked any of the resources that those real estate agents talked about, we've got a huge video vault of those resources for free. Every penny that comes on the podcast that we interview, they give us something that helps them get their deals or helps them work with their clients. And we put that in the toolbox in our vault for you. So go to hybendigital.com and you can get it. If you're looking for real estate education, go to rebusuniversity.com. We have all sorts of courses in there to help agents succeed in real estate. How to get the listing, how to negotiate deals, you know, how to become an investor, all sorts of different stuff, rebusuniversity.com. And if you want to chat with me, go find me on Instagram. If you come find me on Instagram, you can send me messages. Tell me what you want to hear. Tell me what you liked, what you didn't like. We try to put a bunch of content out there too. You can find me in two different places. It's at rerockstars.com for our Real Estate Rockstars page or at erinamuchastegui.com for my personal Instagram page where I can chat with you about all sorts of different things. Thanks for listening. We'll see you again soon. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.